6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. We are in uh, Jeremiah. How many of you here are in real estate? Okay, this is the real estate chapter tonight. This whole business is, uh, tonight we could call, uh, you know, our lesson on title insurance or something. Now, as you study, see, most of us, back up a little bit, most of us here are used to dealing in transactions having to do with land that a lawyer would call fee simple. And uh, the notion is that when you buy a piece of property, you take title and you will have it forever until you sell it. Um, and we've got to dismiss some of those ideas because those are ideas that are unique to English common law and in, in, in unique to our particular culture, which is fine, except we must be careful when we get into biblical things you're going to discover that things work a little differently in Israel. And the reason they work differently in Israel is because who owns the land? God does. And uh, there, one of the studies, we will not try to get into all th this tonight, because it would go far too, bore some of you to death if we got into the details of it. But, but it's an interesting study sometime. And by the way, I really encourage you, uh, a couple of let me, a couple of digressions. I encourage all of you, to the extent that you can indulge your budget, is to build a library. You know, in our society, we think of nothing of of renting videotapes, or in some cases, buying videotapes, or going to the movies. You if you have a family of four and you go to the movies, that's twenty bucks. Boy, you go to a Christian bookstore, you can get some interesting commentaries for five or ten bucks. Fifteen's a high price. I mean, they're different. You know, you get there. The point is, as you have a little discretionary money, I I strongly encourage you to build a library. And uh, as you do that, you'll get certain authors that you'll find that are more reliable than others, and, and building up uh, some resources can be a lot of fun. Then the, the big uh, thing to do then is to uh, build up enough resources so you can under— and the, one of the first things is a concordance. And you get your hands on a good, exhaustive concordance, either Young's or Strong's, something of that nature. Build up some—you know, have some Bible handbooks and things and, and build that up, because one of the fun things to do is to undertake studies on your own. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. One of the interesting studies you can undertake is a study of the land, the land of Israel, and you'll discover some strange things. As you go from Genesis through Revelation, you'll discover that there's a very strange intimacy between God's dealing with Israel and the land of Israel. Haaretz Israel, the, the land of Israel. You and I sort of think of land as sort of a temporary political domain. I mean, you know, borders change and things. Land is land, you know, you plow it, you do things. You'll discover that there is something very unique, something very special in the Lord's heart about this peculiar piece of real estate that we call the nation Israel. And her and, and God's dealings with Israel are all tied up with the land. 
his, especially when when you get into you know dealing with Abraham and and uh, that portion of Genesis, you'll discover that there's a if you're alert to it that there's a very very special relationship that God uh, indulges uh, with Israel and the land and so forth. Now, what you also need to recognize is that the land after the after the conquest of Canaan under Joshua, the land was divided up by the tribes. They drew lots, God assigned portions of the land to each of the tribes. Now, what you need to recognize is there, there thus is instituted um, in the Torah, the first five books of Moses under the Mosaic Law, a whole special way of dealing with the land. The land was, uh, it was very difficult to disassociate the land from its genealogy. A particular portion of land was linked to a tribal area. You can look at a map and see the area that's Judah or Ephraim or Manasseh or, or Dan or what have you. And, uh, and so if you were in that tribe and had your portion of land, yes, you could sell it. But there, was, there were procedures by which your heirs could redeem it. Because while on the one hand it was your land, you could sell it, but on the other hand there were procedures such that the, the, the ownership of that territory would gravitate back into the tribe. When they speak of a sale in the Bible, it's a transaction that you and I would tend to view as a lease. There were procedures by which a kinsman of the seller could come back and redeem the land by paying a certain price and performing certain uh, you know, by uh, com com uh, complying with certain requirements, he could redeem the land. The person that would be that would who would redeem the land had to be a kinsman, had to be able to perform, and had he wasn't comp comp compulsory. He had the choice. But if he was, if he was the kinsman, if he was able to form, he could choose to redeem the land on behalf of his kinsman or his his his, his preceding a person. It's important for us to understand that for lots of reasons, not the least of which is to understand a strange thing that occurs in this chapter in the book of Jeremiah. Now, um, we'll jump into this at first, and then we're going to use it as an excuse to digress a little bit out. Maybe it would be good to do it the other way around. Let me, let me suggest this. Before we jump into Jeremiah, let's get our background first. Turn to Leviticus chapter 25. In the Torah, the book of Leviticus um, has all kinds of rules and laws and ordinances on all kinds of subjects. But in chapter 25, there's a number of things, but we'll try to focus on just a few specific things. We've been in this chapter before because the earlier part of it has to do with the sabbatical year, the concept that the land enjoyed a Sabbath. Just like man had a Sabbath, six days a man works, the seventh he was allowed to rest. Likewise, the land was tilled for six years, then the seventh it was to lie and rest. We've talked about that before. That's a, an essential piece of background to understanding the Babel, the purpose of the Babylonian captivity, and also Daniel 70 weeks, so we've been through that land. Then verses 8 through 24 deals with the Jubilee year. That's also a fun mystical topic for students of prophecy, because we're approaching the 70th Jubilee, and that's always kind of exciting to students of prophecy, and that's another whole subject. But what I want to get into right now is um, 
some different rules. And I'd like us to pick it up about verse 23. Leviticus 25, verse 23. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. Who's speaking? God is speaking. Through Moses, indeed, but God is speaking. It's for it's the Lord that's speaking here. The land shall not be sold forever. In other words, you can sell it, but not forever. Now, when, when we think of a sale, we think of fee simple. It's a permanent transfer of title. That doesn't fit here. So recognize we've got to separate those notions that we're so used to from English common law. A sale here is the transaction that really involves a temporary holding of the land. Anyway, the land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine, for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession ye shall grant a redemption for the land. Meaning that if you're going to sell it, you've got to provide for it ultimately be redeemed by your family. Yes, it may be commercially expedient to let someone else have use of it for a while, but there needs to be a mechanism for it to return to the tribe. Verse 25. If thy brother hath become poor and hath sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. If the man have none to redeem it, then he himself be able to redeem it. Uh, then let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overpayment unto the man to whom he sold it, that he may return unto his possession. But if he be not able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it until the year of jubilee. And in the jubilee it shall go out, and he shall return it unto his possession. Now the jubilee year, after you, you had six years, you, you, you till the land, the seventh you lay, lay fallow. When you had seven of those, that's 49 years in total, the next year, with the 50th year, was the jubilee year. So every jubilee year, all land returned to its original owners. So you say, gee, what do you mean? I'm buying the land. No, you're not really. You're leasing it. And the terms of the lease, at a minimum, would have it fold, you know, fold back to the tribe at the Jubilee year. It may also provide some other ways that are kinsmen. You know, if you sold it in, de in destitution, that your kinsmen can come redeem it. We're going to look at it after we leave this passage. That we're going to examine an example of that in the uh, book of Ruth. There's some reasons I'm going into all this, of course, believe it or not. In fact, if you want to pop down in verse 47, there's another subject here in this chapter that has um, to do with um, a kinsman redeemer. Again, the word in the Hebrew is geol, goel, a goel. If a sojourner or a stranger become rich by thee, and thy brother who dwelleth by him becometh poor, and sell himself unto the stranger sojourner by thee, or to stock of the foreigner's family, if he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. Either his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him, or any that is near of kin unto him or of his family may redeem him. If he be able, he may redeem himself. He shall reckon with him that has brought him from the year that he was sold unto the year. This is, uh, it goes through some of this. At this point, turn to Ruth chapter 4. The book of Ruth, I strongly commend to your study. It's a beautiful four-chapter book which deals with Naomi from Bethlehem because of the famine left. Sons with them. Her husband died. The sons get married in, in a foreign country, Moab, Gentile country. 
but the sons also die. So Naomi has Gentile daughters-in-law. They both love her very much. One of them insists upon coming with her when she finally does go, goes to return home. Now, she eventually returns home to Bethlehem, but she's now a destitute widow, does not own property. Her property was sold long before when they left Bethlehem to go to Moab. But she returns to Bethlehem in the company of her Gentile daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth's devotion to uh, Naomi is the, is, is the emotional sub subject of the story. Uh, it happens that there, as the laws provide for them, they had a form of welfare there called gleaning. If you owned a field and you sent your reapers in, whatever they missed had to be left for the poor. And it was lawful for the poor to follow the reapers and, and catch what they drop as their form of, that's their form of welfare program. That was the, the laws of gleaning. And if you study Ruth, you should investigate those laws before reading the story to really follow it all. It happens that the major landowner there that Ruth, the daughter-in-law, happens to be gleaning at is a guy by the name of Boaz. And Boaz becomes a very important hero in the story because he turns out, one of those beautiful coincidences, to be a kinsman of Naomi. And um, when Naomi learns that Ruth happens on his field, he as a good Jewish mother, she instructs her how to play the hand. And uh, Boaz obviously falls in love with Ruth and instructs his reapers even to drop extra handfuls so she's well taken care of. There's a lot of mystical uh, background in this that obviously I won't, this digression won't go into, but if you're interested in the book of Ruth, I strongly recommend you get the Ruth tapes. It's one of the most beautiful stories on its own right, but then as you get behind the story, uh, mystically, it's extremely exciting. It's extremely exciting uh, typologically. Naomi is a type of Israel. Ruth, being a Gentile bride, is the type of the church. Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. We really understand a kinsman redeemer when you understand the book of Ruth. Now, uh, and there's much, much to do here, but uh, let's just take the first six verses of ver chapter 4. Chapter 4, last chapter of the little book of Ruth, uh, verse 1, then Boaz, that's the, that's the wealthy land order. Um, oh, what happened just prior to this in chapter 3 is... Under instruction from Naomi, Ruth approaches Boaz and asks him to exercise, to do the, his kinsman's responsibility. It's optional with him. He doesn't have to. But she uh, 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 makes that application, and he wants to, except there is a kinsman that's closer to Naomi than he is. What he would like to do is be the kinsman redeemer, that is, repurchase the land for Naomi, that her husband sold many years before, and also take Ruth to be a bride. There's a double redemption involved here. Boaz has a problem, though. He's got to get this near kinsman out of the way first. So in chapter 4, verse 1, then Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. Now bear in mind, the gate of the city was functionally what you and I would use to use in the town hall. That's where the elders, the elders met at the city, the gate. If a major potentate visited the city, he would be greeted at the gate by the elders. At the el they would convene around the gate of the city. That was analogous to uh, the curb on Wall Street or the when it started or uh, whatever. It's institutionally uh, the, the, the town meeting place, if you will. So he went up to the gate and sat down, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spoke came by, to whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city. See, he needs the legal witnesses. 
and they said, sit down here. They sat down. He said unto the kinsman, Naomi, who is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a plot of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. That was Naomi's husband when they had famine and they left. They sold the property. They left to go to Moab because times were tough. This was an analogous to a depression time. When they went in this far country, of course, they also fell on hard times. Elimelech had died and so did their sons. And it's many years later that they're back. But anyway, this is past history. Verse 4. And uh, Boaz continues, I thought to tell thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. In other words, Boaz is putting it to him. He has his first shot. And of course he says, I will redeem it. Now, if you, you can see Boaz wince, saying the, equivalent, the Hebrew equivalent of, darn it. You know, I mean, he didn't, where do you want that to happen? Then he goes on, Boaz says, and then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. This is the second dimension to redeeming. If a brother dies, leaves a wife without, leaves a wife childless, uh, the brother is to take her to wife and raise up seed in the name of the dead brother. Okay? So when the, when the kinsman finds out that that's also part of the deal, in verse 6, he's, the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my, uh, my right for thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, we don't know what it was that clouded the situation for that guy, but whatever it was, he was ineligible. He couldn't handle that, so he passes. And, of course, that opens the door for Boaz to step in and to do it. And, of course, Boaz does. He redeems the land from Naomi, and he takes Ruth to wife. And the rest of the chapter deals with the peculiar prophecy that's given at the marriage feast about Ruth, Ruth and Boaz, and says, May your house be like Perez. And you wonder what on that side, especially if you go and dig out the, the story of Perez in Genesis, you discover that he was the illegitimate son when Judah laid with Tamar. And uh, it's a real grisly story. You wonder, what do you mean, let your house be like Perez? Well, turns out if you're a real student of the law, you'll discover that if you have a bastard son that takes the 10th generation before he can inherit. And from Perez, 10 generations goes through Boaz to none other than David. And so it's a prophecy that David would be the king. It's a very interesting prophecy from that point of view because it points out that God had David in mind long before Saul. You see, it's an interesting story. And there's much more here, uh, Ruth and Ruth. And uh, now you wonder, Boaz is quite a gutsy guy taking a Gentile bride in Israel, despite the fact that Ruth's conduct won the respect of everybody. She still was a Gentile. How could Boaz feel so comfortable taking a Gentile bride? Very easy. His mother was Rahab the harlot. Didn't know that, huh? You got to do your homework. When Joshua conquered Jericho, remember Rahab? She married Solomon, and they had an offspring. Okay, the offspring was Boaz. Boaz and Ruth then live on Naomi's property, right? Raising sheep. Shepherd's fields, just outside of Bethlehem. What do you think happens there one night? Yes, you got it, right. When you hear the story about the shepherds on the night of Christmas Eve, uh, as we uh, celebrate it, um, whose fields are they talking about? The, the fields that belong to Boaz and Ruth, very likely. And uh, so it's an interesting story. And there's much, much, much here in the Book of Ruth. But the main thing, I want, what's interesting about this purchase 
is this demonstrate the it demonstrates the kinsman, the act of redeeming the land. Okay. Now, with this background, the peculiar transaction that occurs in Jeremiah will be less peculiar to you. It's more fun to show you Jeremiah and you wonder what on earth's going on, then take you back here. But I thought it might be more constructive rather than play games with you, is just take you through. And I, I'm really proud of myself because I've never gotten into Ruth 4 and Ada again in less than half an hour. So we've, we've, there's so much here that I'm, you, you, you would, if, if you realized how much was here, you'd be impressed with my resolve leaving it there, and coming back to Jeremiah. Now, if that remark, you wonder what on earth I'm talking about, get the tapes on Ruth. You'll, you'll love it. If I'm at a weekend conference or around a campfire on the beach or whatever, my favorite place to sort of just share with the group is to just go through the book of Ruth. There's so much there, personally, maritally, spiritually, mystically. There's so much. It's, it's fun, fun. One of the most fun books in the Bible. But getting back to Jeremiah 32... Let's jump in. Now, what, to get the context here, it's also important to recognize the peculiar position Jeremiah is in when, when it unravels here. Jeremiah now is in prison. Uh, Zedekiah has had a belly full of this guy. He's been preaching around uh, uh, he, he, uh, uh, treasonously. Jeremiah has been telling him, look, guys, don't fight the Babylonians. They are raised up by God to be his instruments to punish you. They're going to win. Very unpopular message. Treasonous, in fact. Zedekiah himself is really isn't that upset with Jeremiah, but his first string, his advisors, his his, his next in command are really out to get him. And uh, Zedekiah, if anything, is a very weak guy. But we covered all that before. But now, what's important here is to recognize that the siege is on. The siege is on. The Babylonians are out there. Okay, they're. The siege is on. You know, this is it's it's a strange time to be buying real estate. You know, where especially for Jeremiah, who knows they're going to be cap uh, taken captive and the city is going to be leveled. The entire country is going to be in shambles and under the heel of a conquering world empire. So that's a context in which Jeremiah is going to go buy some property. Strange. Why? Jeremiah 32, verse 1, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, that was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. And really, Kedrezer and Knezer confuse you. It's the same guy. Nebuchadnezzar is actually the proper pronunciation, but so many of us are used to the classical Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not going to try to, you know, correct myself. It's sort of like Jehovah. I'm not going to fight that battle. We'll just stay with what we're comfortable with and recognize we're wrong. Um... For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison which was in the king of Judah's house. Bear in mind, he is not in dungeon. Uh, that's where he was for a while, and I won't go through that whole background. There's a whole argument about uh, what Jeremiah was really doing, whether he was trying to defect and so forth. I don't want to get into all that. He was in a dungeon, but um, Zedekiah, in effect, uh, permits him a form of imprisonment that's more congenial. He, he doesn't have him in the dungeon. He has him in the court of the prison, which was in the kingdom in Zedekiah's house. In other words, there's a, it's a more privileged form of still being in prison, but, but not, uh, not so oppressively. For Zedekiah the king of Judah had shut him up, saying, Why dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. 
And Zedekiah, the king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. In other words, you know, eyeball to eyeball, navel to navel, they're going to be face to face, and okay. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord, though he fight with the Chaldeans, yet he shall not prosper. In other words, that's background as to why Jeremiah was imprisoned. Originally a dungeon, but here in this thing he's at the court of the prison, which is not quite so bad. Okay. Okay. Is that, and by the way, Jeremiah apparently is there until the actual fall. We This will all come up again in chapters 37 and 38. We'll get into the actual events. Bear in mind that chapters in Jeremiah are not, not necessarily chronological. We're in the middle of a three-chapter chunk called the Book of Consolation, a particular set of messages. So... Um, we're going to deal with the exact time timetable and so forth in chapters 37 and 38. Now, you recognize, though, that they're under siege. The city of Jerusalem's under siege. Now, that means that the outlying properties, the miles around Jerusalem, are already conquered by whom? The invaders. Okay, the enemy. Now, it brings us down to verse 6. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Hanamel... The son of Shalom thine uncle shall come unto thee, saying, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. Bear in mind, Anathoth was Jeremiah's hometown, right? So I've forgotten the exact distance, some 10 miles away, I think. I've forgotten. I have to look back through my notes. Anyway, it's not far away. It's his hometown, and, and here he has a relative, the son of his uncle. Is, coming, is going to come and suggest to him to buy his property. Now, this is, um, this is sort of like um, the French trying to sell you a piece of land after the Germans had rolled their tanks over it. You know, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, or, or trying to sell maybe some, you know, farmland that's two feet underwater or something. I mean, this is not exactly your best real estate proposition on the face of it. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.